0: I want to say good morning to all of you who are here. Thanks for being here on this beautiful day. Hey, turn to the person you're sitting next to and just say, I'm glad to be here. Would you do that? I am. I am really, really glad to be here. I was thanking the Lord today as I was driving in just for the health and strength. Do you realize how many people wish they had the health just to come to church and to be in God's house? And so I'm thankful that you're here, and I'm thankful that we're here. I want to answer a question beginning today that has been asked quite a bit and was one of the things, as a matter of fact, we ask ourselves as a staff continuously you know, we, we live in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, we've got a church on every corner, literally. And they're some of the biggest, largest churches on the, in, in the country, not too far from us. And, and I mean, they're just everywhere of every denomination. So the question that a lot of people ask when they either visit our church or check our church out online is, so what is different about Crosspoint? What is it about Crosspoint that makes it somewhat distinct and somewhat of a quote-unquote different product than maybe a lot of other churches? Well, I wanna read to you a few years ago, a family visited our church. This has been about five or six years ago. And they received a follow-up email from one of our staff. We always send a follow-up email or contact some way when people come to our church and visit our church. And and the staff member that actually sent the email received this long email in response, and it was stating this big concern that this particular uh, father had. And I want to just read part of his email to you. My biggest concern is regarding your church's policy and views with whom they welcome and accept in your church. My view is that God is a loving God and created everyone in his image. I agree with that. Everyone is all-inclusive. Last Sunday during my visit, he actually came out to the lobby. He said, last Sunday during my visit, I asked Pastor Merritt about the church's view on homosexuality. In my opinion, if the church is willing to accept these people in the congregation, then they will accept everyone who wants to attend. By the way, I totally agree with that statement. They told me that they are welcome that is, he told me, but that it is a sin to be homosexual. Actually, I told him it was a sin to live a homosexual lifestyle, just as it is a sin to live an adulterous lifestyle. I was very disappointed to hear him, hear him say that. That tells me that they would not be welcome as your, in your church as your church's view believes it is wrong to be homosexual. Again, I believe it, do believe it's wrong to live a homosexual lifestyle. It appears to me you are welcome in your church only as long as you believe as the church does. That last statement is absolutely false. My wife and I have many friends in the gay lesbian community. Our children's godparents are gay lesbian. I will not attend a church that will not accept my friends only because their views and lifestyles are different from the guy who is standing at the pulpit telling everyone in his congregation that God only loves certain people. Again, this is me. That is an absolutely false statement. I have never said in my ministry over 40 years that God only loves certain people. Every church I've ever pastored, I've made it plain that everybody is welcome in our church. He goes on, I regret to inform you, I will not be returning. I will continue to look for another church to take my family. It is very important to me to find a place I can take my children to learn about God the correct way. He loves everyone unconditionally. By the way, parenthetically, I agree with that statement and I preach it practically every Sunday. Now listen to this. I will not have them taught to be bigoted toward anyone because of their views or their lifestyle. Now the reason why I share that email is because it perfectly illustrates two things. Number one, it illustrates why the series we're starting today is so important And number two, it illustrates one of the great things I believe our church ought to be known for. I believe it illustrates something that ought to make us distinctive from many other churches. So we're beginning a series today that we're calling Balanced. And I believe that a church that is full of Jesus and Christ followers who are full of Jesus will be balanced. Now, let me explain why I believe that and why this is so important. There are churches out there and, and, and some of you may be used to go to one of these churches and there are some churches out there and they specialize in making people feel condemned. They, 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 they traffic in guilt all the time. They love to tell you what they're against. They don't very often tell you what they are for and they don't like to just step on toes. They like to stomp on feet, okay? And there are churches that are out there that are like that. But then there are other churches they don't want to make people feel condemned. They want to make people feel comfortable. So their number one goal is that when you walk out of their church, they want you to feel good. They want you to be happy when you leave. They rarely, if ever, uh, if ever talk about sin. And if they do, they never call it sin. They believe the 11th commandment is thou shalt not offend. So you've got churches out there, they say, we're in the condemnation business, and then you've got churches, they're in the, no, we're in the making comfortable business. So let me just tell you where I am. I believe something is wrong with the church that offends everybody. I believe there's something wrong with the church that goes out of its way to offend people, especially people with whom they may not agree with their lifestyle, or they may not agree with their belief. I believe that. I also believe there's something equally wrong with the church that offends nobody and a church that goes out of her way to make sure they never offend anybody. Because when I read about Jesus, here's what I find. Jesus did not offend everybody all of the time, but Jesus did offend somebody some of the time. Now, why is it true that Jesus didn't offend everybody all of the time, but he did offend some people some of the time? Because he was, what's the word? He was balanced. He was perfectly balanced. And he was perfectly balanced with those two things that I believe make everybody a balanced believer and I believe even a balanced person. And those two things are, let's say this out loud. Would you ready? Say it with me. Grace and truth. Let's say it again. Grace and truth. That's the balance that Jesus struck. Now, how do do I know that? Well, if you bought a copy of God's Word or you want to look on on a phone or a tablet or whatever, I want you to turn to one of the four gospels, it's the Gospel of John. There are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John found almost in the middle of the Bible, maybe a little bit past the middle. I want you to turn to John chapter 1. Now let me tell you who wrote this gospel. John was one of the 12 disciples. But Jesus didn't just have 12 disciples. He actually kind of had an inner circle within those 12 disciples. John was not any ordinary disciple. And he loved all of his disciples, but there were the three disciples that Jesus kind of brought in. They were kind of his really best buds in this group. And they knew it and the other disciples knew it. He loved all of them, but they were particularly close to Jesus. And those three were Peter, James, and John. They got up close and personal with Jesus. Jesus would sometimes bring them in and say things to them or show them things or let them see things that he didn't let the, others, the uh, other nine see. And so John was really, really close. I mean, they were just like that. So John is looking back and writing about this Jesus he spent three years with, and he tells us something in the first chapter of John that tells us why Jesus was such an exhilarating, captivating, fascinating figure. He says this in verse 14, he says the word, he's talking about Jesus, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father. Now we're gonna do do a little theology here just for a second. What John's talking about here is what we talk about mainly at Christmas, what we call in theology, the incarnation. That is that God left heaven, came down to earth took on human flesh and became one of us. Then when John talks about, when he says, we saw his glory, what he's saying is, we saw his life from his birth all the way to the cross, all the way to the empty tomb. We watched him, we we see, we saw his birth, we saw his life, we saw his death, we saw his resurrection. In his birth, he came out of a womb. In his death, he came out of a tomb. And from beginning to end, we saw the glory of God. From the womb, he came as God from heaven. But from the tomb, he came as a man back from the dead. And he said, we saw God and we saw man. He was fully God. He was fully man. But then John goes on and says something that that tells us why Jesus was so unique. What was it about Jesus that drew people to Jesus? When you read the scriptures, you'll find people from all walks of life, rich people and poor people, people who were in and people who were out, People on the inside looking out and people on the outside looking in. People who were somebody and people who were nobody. People from all walks of life, they were drawn to Jesus. What was it about Jesus that made people wanna meet this guy and and touch this guy and hear this guy and just be around this guy? John goes on to tell us. He says, he was full of, say it with me, grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. Jesus was perfectly balanced. He was full of grace and truth. Now, let me just make this real easy for you. When you're full of Jesus, you'll be full of grace and truth. When a church is full of Jesus, it will be full of grace and truth. When preaching is full of Jesus, it will be full of grace and truth. Now, here's the problem. See, for Jesus, it just came naturally. He didn't lean one way or the other, right? On the other hand, let's be honest. This is true of everybody in this room. It's true of all the people, those who are watching me right now on our campuses there at at Mill Creek and Lanier. Those who are watching me online right now. This is true of everybody listening to me right now. We tend to lean one way or the other. I promise you that's true. We tend to lean one way or the other. Here's an example. Take, Take about your parents. In almost every home, dad will lean one way and mom will lean the other way. For example, in my family, dad, he was Mr. Truth. Mom, she was Mrs. Grace. That's how kids learn to play parents against each other. We're all born just with that innate ability to say, oh, you're the gracer and you're the truther. And so we learn how to play each other. We find out pretty quickly, okay, if I want the truth, I'm gonna get it from mom or dad. And if I want the grace, I'm gonna get it from the other one. By the way, incidentally, let me give you a quick word to all of you who are grandparents. That can change over time. When my boys were growing up, who do you think I was when the boys were growing up? I was Mr. Truth. Who do you think Teresa was when they were growing up? She was Mrs. Grace. But now we've got grandchildren. Now, I'm Mr. Grace. And mom, Nana, she's Mrs. Truth. This week, this happened this week. We had our little two-year-old grandson, Connor, and he's in that terrible two-stage. You know, Connor's happy as long as he gets his way. Connor did not get his way, he throws a fit. So he's at our house here this past week and he wanted something and Teresa didn't want to give it to him. Of course, I did. And She said, no, we're not going to give it to him. And, and, and he, I said, okay, Connor, you can't have it. And he just sat down. He just, and he put his head in his hands. He just threw a fit right there in the floor. I looked at him and I said, let me tell you something right now. If you don't mind pop, Nana's going to spank you. Now, <laughs> let me tell you something else. When it comes to ourselves, we lean to which way? Which way do we lean? Come on, yeah, grace. But when it comes to others, we lean toward, yeah, truth, right? So, good example. You pull out in front of someone on the freeway and they blow their horn at you. What do you say about yourself? I didn't see you. Somebody else pulls out in front of you, you blow your horn, you say, you idiot. See, when it comes to ourselves, like we we blow it, all right, we blow it. What do we tend to say we blow it? Well, everybody blows it, right? nobody's perfect, everybody makes a mistake. But if somebody else blows it, what do we say? You dummy, could you not do better than that? When it comes to us, we kinda go the grace route. When it comes to others, we go the truth route. So oftentimes, in order to cut ourselves some slack, we tend to cut other people up. But with, with Jesus, truth and grace were joined at the hip. They were always perfectly balanced. Now this next is very important, listen. Jesus never shared grace at the expense of truth. And he never spoke truth at the expense of grace. He always shared and he always showed grace and truth. He was balanced. So here's what I'm gonna do over the next several weeks. I wanna show you why we as a church need to be balanced. I want to show you why you, as an individual follower of Jesus, need to be balanced. I'm going to show you why this balance is so very, very important. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Jesus. We're going to take an instant in the life of Jesus where he was full of grace. Then we're going to look at another instant of Jesus in his life where he was full of truth. And then we're going to look at another instant of Jesus where he was full of grace and truth. Now, today, what I wanna do is I wanna share with you why we need both, all right? Number one, we need the compassion of grace. We need the compassion of grace. Now, listen to what Jesus said, and by the way, what John said, and I want you to notice not just what John said, I want you to notice the order in which he said it because there's a reason why he put it this way. He said he was full of, now, what's that first word? It's grace. He was full of grace and grace truth. Now you may say, well, what, what, what does it matter? Whether he said he was full of grace and truth or full of truth and grace? No, John knew what he was doing. John knew when he wrote, he said, now, I want to make sure this comes first. He was full of grace and truth. I don't believe that's a coincidence. Let me tell you why. If you were a Jew 2000 years ago, you'd understand why John put that first because many, 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 many people in first century Jewish culture, they were expert truth tellers they love telling the truth. They learned, for example, if you were a good Jewish boy, you grew up in a good Jewish home, you would memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. You would memorize the Jewish Bible from a young age. You were schooled to the truth to the point that many, many, many Jews, as a matter of fact, in order to become a Pharisee or a rabbi, guess what you had to memorize? The entire Old Testament. Now think about that. You had to know all of the Old Testament. And so, If you were a Jew back then, you understood truth. I mean, you got truth. You understood truth a whole lot better than you understood grace, because the overarching emphasis of the first five books of the Old Testament especially is truth. So, I mean, think about it. When you think about the Old Testament, what do you tend to think about? You think about commandments, right? Thou shalt and thou shalt not. You think about all the laws in the Old Testament. There are laws dealing with everything from divorce to diet plans. You, you think about regulations from temple sacrifices to annual festivals. I mean, the Jews had a right way and a wrong way of doing everything. You can eat this, you can't eat that. You can wear this, you can't wear that. You gotta do the festival this way, you have gotta do the temple this way, you gotta build it this way, it's gotta look this way. So the Jewish religion was all about the truth. Now let me stop. You do find grace in the Old Testament. Some people think you don't, you do. In fact, I'll take you back real quick. You may remember, back in Genesis, we're told that God was going to destroy the entire world in a flood because when he looked at the world, all he saw was evil and all he saw was wickedness. And the Bible says he even regretted in his heart, he had even made the world to begin with. And God had made up his mind, you know what, I've had it with the human race, should have never done this to begin with. I'm gonna destroy the whole thing. I'm gonna destroy everybody. And then we read this verse. But Noah found favor, in the eyes of the Lord. In the Hebrew language, the word favor is the New Testament word for, guess what? Grace. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God in his grace chose not to destroy everyone or everything. So I want you to get this straight. The world wouldn't even be here today if it were not for the grace that we find in the Old Testament. So yes, you find overarching truth and you find all the laws and all the commandments and all the regulations, but the truth of the matter is there is grace in the Old Testament. However, the primary emphasis is truth, laws, regulations, commandments. Do it the right way. Don't do it the wrong way. By the way, that's why John goes on to point out in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. In other words, he's saying to the Jews, look, I know you get the truth, I understand that. But when Jesus came along, everyone that ever met him saw something in him they had never seen in another rabbi. They had never seen in another Bible scholar. They had never seen in anyone that knew so much truth. When Jesus came along, the light of grace shined out of his life so brightly that everybody could see it. See, that's why people who were so unlike Jesus, like Jesus. That's why Jesus loved hanging out with sinners. And sinners love hanging out with Jesus. Jesus drew unbelievers and Jesus drew lawbreakers like a magnet draws iron. And by the way, let me tell you something. That's why every day more and more, the older I get, I wanna be full of Jesus. And let me tell you why. I'm just gonna be very honest. Here's the truth, and I want all of you who are part of our church to listen. All of you who say you're followers of Jesus, I'm gonna say something, it's painful to say it, but it's true. Most people that we call sinners don't want to be around most people who call themselves Christians. Most people who call them, we call sinners, don't wanna be around most people who call themselves Christians. You know why? Because most of the time, we're big on truth, not so big on grace. You know how I know that? Because we don't hang around them. We don't go around them. We segregate ourselves from them. So they get it. We, we, you know, They say, okay, you, you, you're all about truth and not about grace. But when Jesus burst on the scene, the light of the grace of his life burst through like the morning sun. In other words, in Jesus, the stern face of the law turned into the shining face of grace. Unbelievers, this is true of every time. You go back and read the gospels. This is, this is what I wanna be. Every time an unbeliever met Jesus, every time a prostitute met Jesus, every time a tax collector met Jesus, even a thief on the cross who met Jesus, every time an unbeliever met Jesus, you know what they knew right off the bat? This guy loves me. This guy cares about me. This guy sees value in me. This guy wants what is best for me. We need the compassion of grace. But then, we need the conviction of truth. We need the compassion of grace, I get it. But we need the conviction of truth. Now, again, we're gonna read the verse, but a different emphasis this time. He was full of grace and, what's that word? Truth, he was full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus was not one-sided in his approach to people. You know, many of you have seen the great seal of our country, the great seal of the United States, and that great seal has a, a picture of an eagle. You, you can see it uh, up here on the screen. Now, if you, in case you forgot, you, you'll realize that in, in, in one talon, this is an olive branch, and in another talon, these are arrows. And what that symbolizes is this. What that says to the whole world is, is look, we are a nation that desires peace, but we're also a nation that is ready for war. In a similar way, Jesus always brought two things to the table. Jesus always held out two things in his hands every time he met anybody. In this hand, he said, hey, I got grace. But he said, in this hand, I've got truth. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. There's this caricature of Jesus in our culture today. We've created this Jesus I call, he's the Jesus who's sugar and spice and everything nice. He's the Jesus who is tolerant. That's that's the big word. Oh, Jesus is tolerant of everything. Jesus is tolerant of everybody. It's the Jesus that says, hey, I'm okay. You're okay. God's okay. We're all okay. You live any way you want to live. You do anything you want to do. You go anywhere you want to go. It's your life. You only live it once. Nobody can tell you what to do. And it doesn't matter what you do. It's all okay. It is the Jesus who fits in perfectly with the theology of our country today, which is this. You know what our number one theological belief is in America today? Our number one theological belief is it is wrong to ever tell anybody they're wrong. That's what we believe today. It is wrong to tell anybody that they're wrong. If you do, what are you? you're a bigot, you're phobic, you're intolerant, you're judgmental. And people say, you know, but what about Jesus? H. Richard Niebuhr, you probably never heard of him, he was a famous Yale Divinity School professor. He said this 60 years ago, and it's still true. He said, we have created this make-believe spiritual fantasy where a God without wrath brings men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministry of a Christ without a cross. That's modern day Christianity. Oh God, listen, God is a God of love, he is. But it perfectly signifies what it means to be all grace and no truth. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Look, I wanna speak grace, I wanna give grace, but I also must speak truth. When I give grace, I have to give truth. So let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about, okay? Grace says there's a way to God for anyone. How many of you agree with that? Okay, okay that ought to be unanimous. Get your hand up. All right, all right, ready? Right? Truth says there's only one way to God. Grace says redemption is possible. Truth says repentance and turning from sin is necessary. Grace says, I love you just the way you are. Truth says, I love you too much to let you stay that way. Grace says, I love sinners. Truth says, I hate sin. Grace says, anybody can come to God. Truth says, everybody must come through Jesus. Grace says, God is love. Truth says, God is holy. Grace says, there's a heaven and you can go there. Truth says, there's a hell and you can go there. Grace says, there is salvation for those who desire it. Truth says, there is judgment for those who don't. Grace says, you're saved by grace Through faith. Truth says, faith without works is dead. Whether you like it or whether you don't is not the issue. And I'm gonna be honest. I predicted in my own heart, there will be some of you after this message that will say, not for me. I get it. We're not for everybody. I'm gonna be full of grace and wanna be full of grace. But I'm also gonna be full of truth because we need the compassion of grace and we also need the conviction of truth. And that leads me to say the third thing. We need the combination of grace and truth. We need the compassion of grace. We need the conviction of of, of truth, but we need the combination of grace and truth. Now, listen again to what John said in his concluding statement in verse 17. He said, for the law was given through Moses. Now, what we wish he would have said was this, grace came through Jesus Christ. He did not say that. He said, for the law was given through Moses. Then then what we'd like for him to say is, but the law was a bad thing because the law tells you what's right and the law tells you what's wrong. And we don't like to be told what's right and what's wrong. We like to decide for ourselves what's right and what's wrong. And oh, by the way, if something we believed and said was wrong for 2000 years, we all of a sudden wanna say it's all right, we ought to have the right to say it's all right no matter what anybody else says. He didn't do that. He says, you're right, the law was given through Moses. I get it, it was all about truth. But then he says, by the way, grace and truth, why did he say truth? He said, this this doesn't mean it's null and void. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Here's the point. Grace and truth are joined at the hip. They're like love and marriage. They go together. Can't be separated. Let me tell you why. Now, listen. Listen. What I'm about to tell you, this is so important. You get this. Grace without truth is deceptive. Truth without grace is defective. So, to put it, let me kind of you know, two plus two equals four. Let me let me give it to you mathematically. Grace. Minus truth equals liberalism. You can live any way you want to live, do anything you want to do, go anywhere to go. That's okay. God's okay. Jesus okay. You're okay. We're all okay. Grace minus truth equals liberalism. Truth minus grace equals legalism. Now you got to dress the way I dress and you got to do what I do or you're not right with God. Okay. So truth minus grace equals Legalism, right? So you've got some who say, I want grace without truth. And they're quick to excuse and they're slow to confront. Then you've got those, I want truth without grace. So they're quick to judge and they're slow to forgive, okay? But grace plus truth equals liberty. That's what gives you freedom. That was, that's what gives you freedom both to accept the grace of God, but to live the truth of God. Think about it. How many wings does a bird need to fly? Somebody tell me, it's a real easy question. Needs two, you're good. Okay, you're gonna give yourself a hand. Birds need two wings to fly, right? One wing won't cut it. With one wing, they're grounded forever. Listen, the gospel needs two wings to fly. It needs the wing of grace, and it needs the wing of truth. I wanna speak the truth, but I wanna do it in the spirit of grace. I wanna give grace, but I wanna give it in the spirit of truth. Jesus was not 50% grace and 50% truth. He was 100% grace and 100% truth. He wasn't grace on Monday and truth on Tuesday. He was grace and truth 24 7. So think about it. If you've read about Jesus, you know this. On the one hand, he was all grace, he welcomed sinners, he welcomed prostitutes. He welcomed thieves and crooked people. He welcomed tax collectors. He, he, he shared meals with them. He would go to their home. He welcomed little children and would have them come and sit on his lap. He would touch the untouchable. He healed lepers. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He even made sure that a convicted felon would be in heaven when he was dying on the cross. He made sure that a convicted felon received grace right before he died. He was full of grace. On the other hand, he was all truth. He condemned the religious leaders of his day and he called them liars and hypocrites. Oh, he talked a lot more about hell than he talked about heaven. He said, you wanna be my disciple? Then you gotta take up your cross daily and follow me. He even said to a city that he loved with all of his heart, to Jerusalem. He said, you're going to fall under the judgment of God because you would not turn to God and you would not believe in me. He was full of grace and he was full of truth. Let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned this about me and I want you to learn it about you. When you're full of self instead of being full of Jesus, here's what will happen. You'll know it. When I'm full of self rather than being full of Jesus, I will either be full of truth and empty of grace or I'll be full of grace and I'll be empty of truth. Now, I wanna make a confession. There's some of you in our church, you've been with me for 32 years. Be 32 years. The first Sunday of next month, when I came back to Georgia, some of you've been. I've been your pastor 32 years. So if you haven't seen this, I'm going to go ahead and tell you it was true, and I want to confess it. For too long in my ministry, I was real heavy on truth. I was a little too light on grace. My big thing was truth. I wasn't too much concerned about grace. I wanted truth. So if anybody has ever said, you know, Pastor, I've kind of noticed a change in your preaching over the years. Yeah, you're right in a sense. I still preach the word. But I realize, you know what? I need to be balanced between grace and truth. And here's what I've learned by experience. The more full I am of Jesus, the more I'm full of grace and truth. You know, some of you know that the building block of life is DNA. DNA has a double helix. You've seen the strand before, it has a, has a, a, a double helix. That double helix is perfectly balanced and it makes up the core of life. You've got two strands of DNA and they wrap around each other in this beautiful, perfect symmetry. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Here's the amazing thing. They actually run in opposite directions so that they can correct each other simultaneously and keep each other in balance. That's why we're even alive today because our DNA is perfectly balanced. Grace and truth should be in our spiritual DNA. When our church is full of Jesus and we're full of Jesus, we will be balanced between grace and truth. Grace and truth are the building blocks of a Christ-centered life. Martin Luther once said this, He said, the devil doesn't care. Listen to this now. He said, the devil doesn't care which side of the horse we fall off as long as we don't stay in the saddle. He doesn't care. The devil doesn't, he really doesn't care. I wanna tell you for me, I wanna tell you for you, I wanna tell you for our church. I don't wanna fall into the ditch of liberalism and I do not wanna fall into the ditch of legalism. I want to ride the horse of the gospel that has one foot in the stirrup of grace and the other foot in the stirrup of truth. Now, let me tell you what's so sad. Many unbelievers only know two kinds of Christians. It's really sad. Many unbelievers only know two kinds of Christians. They know Christians who speak truth without grace and they know Christians who give grace without truth. What I want people to see in our church is someone who in a spirit of grace will always love people enough to tell them the truth in love. Now, having said all of that, what's the next step for you? How do I want you to apply this message? Again, we're not gonna ever let you walk out the door from now on if I can ever say, okay, that was a fine message, so I'll see you next week. No, no, no. So what do you need to do, all right? Remember what I said a while ago? Every one of us in this room tend to tip the scale one way or the other. If you're truthful, some of you'd say, you know, I'm, I'm kind of more of a gracer. And some of you would say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm more of a truther. So the first question I want you to ask yourself be honest you is, so which way do you tend to lean? I've already told you, I tend to be a truther. If it comes down to a truther or a gracer, I tend to lean to be a truther. So you might say, well, that's me. Some of you, no, no, I, I kind of tend to be a Gracer. Now, let me tell you why I need to be honest. However you answer that question reveals how you need to become more like Jesus. I need to become more like Jesus and more full of Jesus in the area of grace. So let me tell you what I want you to do. Maybe you're a truther. And maybe you've got a situation with someone and, and you, you told them the truth and you were right in what you said. You were right in the stand that you took and you won the battle but you lost the war. And maybe you need to go back and give some grace. Yeah, you know, I, I told this person he was wrong and I let them have it and i tell you, I put them in their place, but no, I didn't say, but you know, except for the grace of God, it'd be you talking to me. But you know, what? I, I do know that where sin is, grace abounds even more and, and I'm willing to give you grace and I wanna talk to you about grace. Maybe you need to kind of go back to someone and, and you need to give some grace. On the other hand, and this is gonna be painful, maybe there's someone out there and you meant well, but you've actually enabled them in their sin. And you've actually tried to make them feel comfortable even though they shouldn't, because you're all about grace and you're not about truth. Maybe you need to go to someone with some loving words of confrontation or counsel and tell them in love, you really need to take a different direction in your life. Now, if you wanna know where you can always go to find that perfect balance, let me tell you one place you can always go to anytime you want to, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. I bet you can guess where it is, the cross of Jesus. Because when you go to the cross of Jesus, guess what you see? you see in that cross beam a perfect balance between grace and truth because grace and truth were joined at the hip at the cross because when you look at the cross, listen, when you look at the cross, you hear grace saying, no matter how sinful you are, your sins can be forgiven. But then you also hear truth saying, yes, but the only reason your sin can be forgiven is because Jesus died for your sin and you must receive him as your Lord and Savior to be forgiven of your sin. So see at the cross, it's balanced. I go to the cross and I go, oh God, you don't know what's in my life. You don't know the baggage I'm carrying. You don't know the blackness of my heart. You don't know all the things I've done wrong. And God says, oh yes, I do. But you can be forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. But then God says, oh, but here's the truth. Forgiveness is free, but it's not cheap. Because of his blood, you must confess your sins. You must repent and turn away from your sin. And you must, by faith, receive Christ into your life. So I want you to do this. We're done. Put your pens down. Close your Bibles. Put your stuff down. Look up here. Just give me your attention just for a minute. I'm gonna show you how this works out even for eternity. I want you to imagine you just drew your last breath. You just died. And you've left heaven and you open your eyes and you're in the presence of God. You're looking right into the eyes of Jesus. I want you to imagine that. At the moment that you walk into heaven, you're going to see grace and you're going to see truth perfectly personified. Because when we get to heaven, grace is going to say, wow, I don't deserve to be here. But at the same time, truth is going to say, when you look into those nail-scarred hands of Jesus, but I'm here because you died for me. I want to be joined at the hip grace and truth so this is my promise to you no our church is not for everybody and it won't be as a matter of fact i'm gonna make a real strong statement show me a church that's really for everybody i'll show you a church that's really for nobody we're not a church for everybody but here's what i'll promise you As you begin to do these things that we ask everybody to do, four simple things. Worship, you're doing that right now. Connect, get into a group. Serve, find a place to do something for the Lord and invite people to come. I'll make a promise to you. When people walk into our church, I want them to feel, smell, hear, taste, touch the grace of God. But I also want them to hear the truth that can set them free. So we're going to be balanced. Now, if you're looking for a church that's all grace and no truth, I can recommend some. There are plenty of them out there. If you want to be a church that's all truth and no grace? I don't know many, but I'll find one. And we'll get you there. But if you want to find a church full of grace and truth, that's what we desire to be. Let's pray together.